This is a Podfire production. Hi, I'm Ryan and welcome to the New Nirvana podcast, where we dive into everything to do with mental health and well-being. Anything that can improve your life, we're here to talk about. All right, welcome to this week's episode of New Nirvana. Uh, this week we have Donnelly Perfect with us. Uh, I met Donna at an event, actually. We shared the stage at a domestic violence event. Uh, so pretty cool way to meet her. And then since then, we've um, developed a good friendship. And But so Donna is an international speaker, uh, also author. A great book here called uh, Perfectly Bullied, Perfectly at Peace with Donnelly Perfect. Uh, another children's book, uh, Tiger and Puppy Rescue. So if you want to check them out. And also at the back of these books, uh, there's a great app, I do believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, so tell us a bit about this app. Oh, wow. Um, okay, well, uh, the books themselves were quite interesting how they all came about because uh, the, the the children's books are um, The Adventures of Jesse and Rocky Rockstar, actually about my daughter and our rescue dog, and he actually came from a foster home. And so there's a lot of synergy there, Ryan, with our rescue dog and my life coming from foster homes as well. And um, these books were kind of channeled to me. I never, ever planned to be a children's author. In fact, I never really planned to be an author, full stop. And one day these books just came to me, um, actually via a challenge um, of a friend that was uh, working with a comedian and and, uh, they were uh, going to write a book together and kind of um, check in with each other to make sure that they were um, doing what they were supposed to be doing, which was a chapter a week and... And uh, then that friend said to me, would you like to be in on this challenge? And I went, okay, why not? Yep. And before long, within 48 hours, these children's books kind of came down and would just kind of download it onto me. And I thought it would be a nice way to get a message across to children about a rescue dog pretty much sharing life lessons of compassion and kindness to them. So mm. a bit of a ro- role reversal instead of the the child teaching the dog. It was the other way around. And I thought that was a, a cool message to get to children. And so in the back of the books, I, I've developed a community, a free community life-saving app. So when you purchase these books, there's a QR code in the back and you can download this app for free. And it has 13 life-saving support services on. So we're talking about Lifeline, Kids Helpline, Paradise Kids, which is a grief and loss program for children. Yep. Rosie's, if you're homeless and you need a, a feed. Uh, there's also a men's line for men that need to talk. There's a domestic violence, the 1-800-RESPECT. Uh, so there's a number, also cyberbullying. There's um, e-safety commissioner if kids are getting bullied online. Yeah, cool. So it's, it's a one-stop kind of shop in one app where people can go to those sites and get lots of information on the service that's being offered and then reach out to that service if they want further support and help. Yeah, that's cool. That's really awesome. So plenty of um, resources, I suppose, you can draw from. Um, and a big thing that at Neuro Nirvana we're all about uh, mental health. And, and so, yeah, this is definitely a great resource for anyone that's going through um, or, or a whole lot of uh, wide range of issues. Um, so yeah, that's really really cool, Donna. Um, so yeah, let's like obviously I've known you for a while and I know your story and you've got a very very powerful story. So um, let's dive into uh, who is Donnelly Perfect and what has brought you to you know be able to be uh, 
international speaker, to be able to be an author, like what has inspired that. So we'll go back to, I suppose, your childhood and, um, yeah, what was life like uh, growing up as, mm. as Donna? Yeah, well, there was nothing really normal about my childhood. Uh, you know, if you c- compare most childhoods, I, I uh, was, I'm the youngest of five siblings and I'm a twin. And I come from New Zealand, from Auckland, a little suburb called Avondale, which is some Westy chick. Yeah, <laughs> a Westy. <laughs> and um, yeah, so look, life, I guess, was pretty kind of normal until I was seven years old. And then everything changed one morning when I woke up very, very early um, to um, the sound of my mum cr- screaming at the top of her lungs. And I jumped out of bed and went to my door, my bedroom door, and stepped out to, s- to hear my father swearing and yelling as he was chasing my mum down the corridor toward the spiral staircase with a knife. And um, I stepped out into the corridor just completely shocked, wondering what on earth was going on. It was about 5.30 in the morning. And my mum ran down the bottom of the staircase and tried to reach the handle of the sliding door to escape. And my father um, drove the knife into her back and she stumbled along the side path and collapsed to the ground. So I actually witnessed my mum take her last breath and I was just seven. So it was incredibly devastating. Yeah, it would. And obviously your whole life would have changed from from that moment. Um, Absolutely. And I'm guessing you can still remember vividly today like like it was yesterday um just like an, uh, a traumatic experience like that you know it gets imprinted into your brain and something that you'll uh, never forget so mm. um so f- following that so what um how did that affect your life so w- w- what happened to your life after something well, like that? well uh, immediately after that uh, you know i remember seeing my father drive away in the back of a police car and that was a very vivid image too sort of seeing him leave and then we were gathered up very quickly, my, my twin, my older two brothers and my sister and I, and we were taken down to my cousin's house down the road. And I remember this really surreal moment where we were sitting on the couch and we heard on the radio that there'd been a murder in, in our suburb. And it was just kind of really surreal. It was like, is that my mum? Wow, that's my mum, you know. Yeah. And so it sort of sunk in then in that moment. It was because there was just so much shock and trauma. Mm. And um, so we were separated. My my uh, siblings and I we were separated, and the family couldn't take us because you know there were five of us. So it was just too much for any any family member to take us. So we were put into foster homes and. The first foster home I went to, um, the the guy, his name was Miss, uh, Smith, John Smith, I think, um, and he was an alcoholic. Very original name, John, yeah, John no, Smith. I know. <laughs> Are you um, sure that's a real he, name? Is that I know, <laughs> it sounds a bit like it, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so he was an alcoholic and uh, I don't remember a female in this house, but I only remember him and he was, you know, very abusive extremely abusive and physically abusive yes yep. physical and um emotional mental yep. abuse um throughout that time i was there i remember one particular time where um he asked me to run a bath for one of the other children that were in the foster home and i was seven eight i had no idea how to run a bath so i just turned on the hot water and the little girl got in and scolded herself and i remember he'd 
took his leather belt off his jeans and pulled my pants down, threw me on the bed and just started belting with his leather belt into my um, bare ass until I bled. Yeah, wow. That's um, that's crazy. Mm. So your so was was everyone else at home like were we all your other siblings at home when uh, when your mum was um, yes. murdered? Yeah, so yes. they they all witnessed it we as well. We all saw it. Yeah, wow. We all saw it. Yeah. So different levels of trauma, I guess, depending on the age. And you know, my sister was fifteen at the time, so yeah, of course, you know, as you know, the brain. Um, absorbs all this information and and um, sets this kind of um, timeline yeah. of, of that experience. So did you jump from, say, foster home to foster home? Or was that you just had one during your... In I went to 13. 13. So basically each time that we were told to move, uh, it was just a matter of put your things in a rubbish bag, belongings in a rubbish bag, we're going to another foster home. And there was never any kind of... Um, you know, reason, or we were never told why we were moving. But, of course, every time we moved from one foster home to another, we changed schools as well. Yeah. So just when you'd establish a little bit of a, a friendship circle or network, you'd be moving again. And So could you request to move or no? Was it just like you put something wherever and you don't no, get choice? No, it was just wherever. So it was depending on the foster parents, I guess, how they were coping with the amount of kids in their home or or whether there was a breakup in the family or whatever their circumstances were, we would be shuffled on to the next home. Yeah, so did you end up having like any um, like communication with your siblings? Like were we able to, to speak with them at all? Or yes, at one point my, my twin brother joined me again and we were, um, we were together throughout the rest of the foster homes. But my older brothers and my sister was living like flatting. So she was at an age where she was able to kind of she was in boarding school, I think, for a part of that time, and then she started flatting. So she was the oldest out of all of us. But my older brothers were really, um, they got into a whole pile of strife. So um, just rebelling and, you know, the trauma that we'd been through. No emotional counselling, nothing of that sort was offered to us. No. So they were acting out, behaving badly, you know, to try and deal with the trauma. and yeah. So is that I don't, I've got no idea when it comes to like foster homes. Is that like normal protocol now? Like, is it still is it still that bad? Where if, if they go through like a traumatic experience, um, are they offered any sort of help, or do you know like if that's got any better or, or worse? Or my understanding is it has got quite a bit better. Yeah, so, uh, there's a lot of programs that have been implemented in homes now for children and also the carers. So there's a lot of support and a lot of resources for both the you know the child and the and the carer but back then it was very basic in fact uh, you know so bad back then that there was a huge compensation claim that went on in New Zealand and uh, that took 7 years they came to Australia and interviewed me and investigated my file and another interesting thing about these books is uh, over 7 years I eventually got some compensation and I put that money aside I wanted that money to make a significant impact on children's lives in some shape or form. Mm. And I had no idea what it was going to do. I, I just thought I, it needs to have a purpose, this money. Mm. And so you put that out to the universe and obviously something comes come, come back. It was almost to the dollar, right? Yeah, of course those it was. Those two books, <laughs> surprise, surprise. publishing, yeah. 500 of those, uh, and it was almost to the dollar, the amount of money I got that I put into those books. 
Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, people talk about, um, you know, fate or like divine, you know, purpose or whatever. And I think, you know, when something like that comes along, you know that then that's what it was meant to do, you know, when it comes down to like all the almost exact dollar. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah crazy. So, um, so yeah, I went to a lot of foster homes and the last foster home I went to, I was there for about two and a half years and that was also incredibly abusive. We were all together then except my older sister, so my two older brothers and my twin. So the four of us were in this foster home. Yeah. And there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of physical abuse toward my older brothers then because, of course, as I said, they were rebelling and doing all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. So uh, there was a lot of physical acting out um, toward them. And I remember the foster mum really having a thing against me, and I don't know why, but uh, one particular time there was this parcel that arrived at the foster home, and I remember asking her, just as a curious teenager would, um, what's in the parcel? And she turned to me and she said, you're a nosy little bitch. You have no... um, you know, you, you have no need to know what's in this parcel. You're <laughs> going to sit down at the table and you're going to write 1,000 lines um, and you're going to say you're a nosy little bitch and those are going to get stuck on the wall in the lunchroom where all of the children eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. And so, of course, the bullying that went on with that was insane. So, these, you know, that's the kind of mental abuse that went on in these, in these places. Yeah, well, like I couldn't like imagine um, going through something like that, and I, like I'm sure now there must be some sort of protocol that to be a foster parent you'd, you'd have to go through certain checks and stuff now. But I suppose back then, like they were just happy to have someone that would like take you on. I suppose absolutely, you're so right there. There's a lot more checks, and you know you've got to have um, a pro- what is it the children's card the safety card all that kind of thing yeah. so um, police checks everything i'm sure there was none of that back then so yeah you're right i think it was just whoever put their hand up and said mm. hey yeah well and they of course mostly it was money driven because the government was paying them quite a quite a good yeah and that's what that's i was just thinking like um do you think there was, like, cause you hear all these stories from back then and how, like, bad it was. Do you think, like, they almost, obviously there was financial um, reasons, but was there almost, like, a need for them to to then, um, like, to have that power over people or something? Like, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, in my mind, I was like, you know, did, were they getting off on, like, getting these kids and being able to, like, you know, beat them up or whatever? Because you just hear so many stories, like, why... Was there so many and so few like positive stories? Was it? Do you think it might have been just been financial? Or do you think there was like other? Mm. Um, oh look, uh, possibly. Um, there's a lot of dysfunction in those uh, foster homes back then, and of course, the child's very vulnerable. Mm. You know, coming from trauma, they're incredibly vulnerable, and and so it's a it's a perfect you know uh, opportunity I think for somebody that wants to be domineering and controlling or maybe narcissistic mm. to pick on you know, a, a very easy target yeah. um, for that. So, And so then uh, when I was 12, uh, a very tough decision was given to me and that was uh, the, the authorities, the, the foster authorities came to the last home and they said to me, Donna, you've got two choices. You can stay in foster care till you're 18 and you're free to leave. And at this stage I was 12. Yeah almost 13, or you can return to your father who's been released from prison. 
But the toughest part about that decision was I had to go back to the house where he murdered my mum. Yeah, wow. So take us through some of the thought process, you know, from obviously from your mum being murdered, like... What was the thinking going on in your mind, like about your about your life, like what emotions were coming up? Did you think like that was there like a level of unworthiness, or like you know, did I deserve this, or like yeah, take me through some of the thoughts that were coming up for someone that's been through like a situation like yourself. Sure. Well, I guess there's uh, a level of guilt, like did I do something mm. to cause this? You know, was I naughty? Isn't it funny way. how kids do that? There's so much evidence around kids blaming themselves mm. for stuff that's happened, like with their parents, which has got nothing to do with them. It's just the way that kids are kind of, um, yeah, we, we seem to, well, the humans seem to, at a young age, blame ourselves a lot. So that's yeah, very, very common. And I'd like to look further into that, actually. Mm. But, um, mm. yeah, so yeah. What, uh, what what else? Um, you know, I guess, yes, unworthiness, um, abandonment, Un- unwanted, mm. a, s- a sense of, you know, just feeling, I guess, despair. Like there was no stability in my life. There was no um, kind of regular um, normality. So every day was kind of different and unpredictable. And going to school and getting bullied was also another level. So I I would go to school and I would be this very odd child because... I would probably be wearing, you know, just op shop sort of clothes, whatever was handed to me, whatever I had that, and traumatised, mm. you know, uh, no, as I said, no support, no counselling. So I would have acted differently mm. and easy target for bullies. Yeah, so did you find it hard to, like, make friends at school and stuff? Like, did people know your story or, like, no? No one knew my story. No, you kept that real quiet. Yeah, yep. and even as a teenager, when I went back to the house, I remember walking home from school one day and there were a group of kids walking in front of me and I remember them talking about the house and how it was a haunted house and that somebody had been murdered in there. And I felt so embarrassed that, you know, to think that, that was that's my house, that's my mum, that, you know, um, there was quite a bit of shame. Yeah, yeah, well, so... Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, you, know, you want to keep that. Um, yeah, keep that under under wraps. Mm-hmm. I suppose, especially as a teenager. Yeah, you want to fit in. You don't want to be the odd one. That. Yeah, well, I must like commend you now, like being able to come out. I know you've spoke about this like many times, and like even you speaking about it now, like you know, um, I, I don't know how you're feeling inside, but I suppose like the emotions aren't like what you used to when you first started talking, and obviously it must have been really tough, like the first time you. Um, spoke out about it. Can you remember the first time you spoke out about it, or like? We, yes, I, I remember actually um, telling my ex-husband, and he was probably the fifth person I'd ever spoken to, and this was only five, seven years ago, something like that. And he was the one that inspired me to speak on stage and share my story because he couldn't believe what I'd been through and the positive you know, um, just happy, go-lucky, energetic sort of person that I am today. And he knew that that would inspire people to overcome whatever adversity and challenge they have in their life. And and so, um, you know, it was terrifying. But the first time I did it, we had um, butcher paper and a flip chart of illustrations, very basic illustrations, So because our audience was children. And so it was very age-appropriate 
but it was a very different way to um, deliver my talk. Yeah. And it was very captivating to the children because they were so desensitised to digital kind of, um, you know, communication and delivery that going back to old mm, butcher paper and telling a story um, with this huge flip chart on the stage was like, what is this, you know? Yeah. So it was uh, it was daunting. It was I was nervous, um, but... I remember a child coming up to me, and I think he was about eight, and he came up and hugged me, and he said, I'm in foster homes, and you've helped me so much. You're so strong. And I get goosebumps, wow, to, you know, yeah. talking about these stories because, um, you know, th- that's, that's what inspired me to keep going. Yeah, awesome. So we'll, we'll go back to, so you said that um, you had the option to go back with, you, with your dad uh, in the same house. So Yeah, yeah. That's is that's the option you took. That was the option I took because I'd be reunited with my siblings and. and so they all took the same option, and then right. yeah, obviously you use all. We did. Were you able to talk to each other about like what are we going to do? Like, or was it? Uh, no, no. We just all kind of. Uh, uh, the, this is my memory anyway. We just kind of all, all arrived there and um, got on with life, and we never spoke about it. Like so. Did we you ever speak to your father? Have you ever no. spoken to you? No. So my father. Uh, just to give you a bit of a picture of my father, he was um, pro-Nazi, so he believed in the Aryan race. He spoke four languages fluently, so Esperanto, um, German, Spanish and English. Um, so he was just such an odd sort of character, genius. He designed, he was an engineer and designed the first set of tra- traffic lights in New Zealand. Um, but just a genius um, and no, uh, unpredictable, schizophrenic, alcoholic. So that's who we were living with every day. So mm. we'd come home from school, and if he was playing German records, we would know that he was drunk, and we would just not want to go home um, because he was, you know, just we didn't know what kind of mood he was in. So we had we had a survival plan basically while we were living with him for five years. So from the age of 12 to 17, um, we were walking on eggshells. We never spoke about the death. Yeah. Um, and we just pitter-patted around him. Uh, he slept with a knife next to his bed every night. So, And we knew what he was capable of. Yeah. So that was terrifying in itself, just, you know. Um, yeah, okay, cool. Having that, um, yeah, having that reminder every night. Um, yeah. So So have you spoken with your siblings since about it or or no? Uh yes, look, to an extent, um I've done a lot of work on myself, so I've I've tried just about every therapy you can imagine from cognitive to behavioral to psychology to um uh, you know, counseling and um hypnotherapy. And the last um, sort of therapy I had was NLP, timeline therapy, which was profound. It was incredible. So yep. much so that I ended up studying it to become a practitioner myself. Yeah. Um, and so I've done a lot of work on myself and I've done a lot of healing, which has enabled me to share my story without shame. Um, yep. Whereas my siblings are not there. They're not in that space. So unfortunately, they don't agree with me sharing my story. Mm. Um, Which must be very tough. It is really difficult because basically I've been ostracised from the family. So um, because of that, uh, 
but I do believe that my story has, I know it's made so an impact on so many lives because people have shared that with me. Uh, there was one particular young girl that I uh, spoke at um, Kumbaba High School. I did four presentations there and, and this one was on resilience and I shared my story and she reached out on me with me on Instagram and she was suicidal that day and she said my story knocked some sense into her and uh, made her change her way of thinking. Yeah, wow, that's powerful. Um, that's, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, that type of driver must, you know, make you want to just keep doing, you know, what you're doing and it's very hard when you've got family members obviously saying the opposite, like not to do that. Um, but everyone's got to have their own journey. Everyone's got to have their own he healing process and they may not be ready there and they may not be ever ready. But um, I think, yeah, you're doing, you're obviously doing the right thing. So that's uh, incredible and um, you should be very proud of what Thanks. you're doing. Um, but yeah, so I, I suppose I want to keep coming back um, to like your story because I think there's a bit more there to uncover. So your your father, do you know much about your father and his upbringing, like and, and what led him to be like who he was at all? Do you have any? Um I understand he had a very domineering mother. Yeah. So he may have had issues with females. Um, and he, he I know that he lived in Panama for quite a while, um, Central America, and he also um, was in the forces for a while yeah but yeah i don't know a lot about him i don't i don't really know a lot about yeah so he died when i was 17 okay yeah so yeah you end up dying um when you're still quite yes quite, so quite we young. were still in the home and he had a second major bypass operation and died on the operating theater so but uh he was advised not to drink and he drank himself to death pretty much so i think that was his way of coping with everything that had happened in his life and mm. had never spoken about it. So he just numbed the pain with alcohol. And, in fact, he also encouraged me to do the same. He bought alcohol for me at the age of 12. And uh, so I was drinking and uh, we were taking drugs quite early as well. My brothers were growing marijuana and it, trying different drugs to try and just, uh, yeah, numb our pain. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of science and study to say, you know, that's what um, humans uh, do is, you know, to try and escape reality, to escape thoughts, to escape, you know, and drugs aren't the only means to do that. You know what I mean? But there's, you know, TV, there's, um, you know, entertainment. There's Pornography. Yeah, there's, there's so many, um, I suppose, addictions. You know, some are looked to be more healthy than others, but at the end of the day, if you're still trying to escape reality and escape your thoughts, it's it's still... Um, I can see it's still like a, as a negative, um, I suppose, distraction to get you away from dealing with what's actually going on uh, inside your mind or inside your body. Um, so I suppose with that, uh, we'll dive into, so what did you think, you know, obviously you used drugs and that when you were younger, but can you remember when you first started using, I suppose, positive influences or positive like you know what what brought you to who you are today like where do you remember your first like something happened or did you know was it gratitude was it you know what tools did you find and pick up throughout your journey to get you to where you are now well it was one night actually when things were pretty dark and I remember I got the sack from my first job and 
I lied to the boss and said I was sick when I was out at the movies or something with a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually saw me or, I don't know, something crazy. Oh, hey. Uh, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Um, and so, anyway, I knew that I was going down a bad path. And I remember one night just feeling really lost. And I actually rang Lifeline. Mm. And I just spoke about pretty much everything in my life. And I think the counsellor was uh, almost fell off their chair because it was like, oh, no, we can't deal with this over the phone. You're mm. going to have to come in and get some face-to-face counselling. So was that So that was obviously the first person you ever spoken to about sort of what sort of happened? Absolutely. Yeah. So you were, what, say, 19 or 18, 19? Or yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so to be able to hold something like that in from, say, 7 to – you know, 19 must have been such a relief to try and just be able to tell someone, I suppose. And, uh, um, yeah, like, I just, my own personal experience, first time I told someone about my um, traumatic, like, experience, it was just like a relief just to be able to get get it out, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, so go on. So what? Um, how, how did that go after speaking with, with her? Well, she advised me to come in and get some face-to-face counselling, yep. which I did. And I uh, invested in that for, I think it probably would have been close to a year of, of face-to-face counselling. And at the end of that, she she actually encouraged me to do the Lifeline telephone counselling course. So she saw how much progress I'd made in that year and she could really see the value in me um, helping others because of what adversity I've overcome mm. myself. So that was your first taste of like, you know, using your experience to then help other people with their experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So That's the powerful. Lifeline course was incredible. Um, you know, a lot of professional psychologists actually, it's a very reputable course for them also to, to go on. And uh, suicide um, prevention training is part of that. If you want it to, you can mm. add that to it. And so I did that as well, and I ended up volunteering on the phones in Sydney for two years, and that was an incredible experience. So sometimes you have what's called an overnight um, shift, and it's where you're on the phones from about 10 till 6, or 8 till 6, something like that. And during that time, you get an array of either regular callers who are very lonely and have no one to turn to, which you have to really restrict the length of those calls because you've got to keep the lines open. Mm. But suicide calls was... Mm. And so just to give people an example, like I know the figures myself because of obviously it's something I'm interested in and I talk about, but so how many people would you get call, calls coming through like at a call centre where you were at? Oh, uh, me personally, on a, on a shift like that, I would probably get maybe... 25 calls. Mm. Yeah, so there'd be there'd be quiet periods, obviously, and then, you know, you'd get the regular callers and you'd get um, kids that have had too much to drink or, you know, feeling sick and don't know how to tell mum that they're vomiting or mm. that kind of thing, and then you'd get the odd... And the suicide calls weren't, you know... There weren't a huge amount of them, but they were very impactful when they came. And once you had a suicide call, your shift had to end because it's incredibly draining. Yeah, it would be, yeah. And you need to you need to debrief with one of the supervisors after that call because, yeah, it has a, a big impact on um, on the, you know, counsellor. 
Yeah, okay. So just for people at home listening, you know, there might be some people here that are obviously going through tough times, but there will be other people listening, I'm sure, that have got their own story to tell and they've done, you know what I mean? And they might may want to, you know, be volunteering or do these courses. Like, So how easy is it to do these courses that Lifeline provide? Would, did you have to pay for them yourself or did Lifeline pay for them for you so then you could be talking on the phone? Like, how does that all work for anyone there at home that may want to go do something? Great, like that? great um, question. So um, because they need them. They desperately need mm, volunteers, I'm sure they um, would, yeah. especially now with COVID and everything that's going on in the world. Um, <clears throat> so it's a six-month course. Well, that's how long it was when I did it. Yeah. And it's subsidised heavily by Lifeline and the government, but there is some you have to pay. I'd, and back then, I think it was about two hundred dollars. It was, it wasn't a lot of money. Which is quite cheap for a course of, mm. of that length. So yeah. But they do hope that you will become a, vo- a volunteer at the end. So of course. So you finish that course, and you can, as my friend did, um, go into the corporate world and just utilize that for your career and and helping others and and having that communication, those communication skills, and uh, you know a little bit of. NLP training and that kind of thing, but um, I chose to volunteer. Yeah, it's yeah. very rewarding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what um, what type of things were were you learning in in this course? Like, what did that doing that did that help with your own healing as well? Obviously, absolutely. Yeah. So you learn a lot about yourself, about your values and your ethics, and um, you know, I remember there was this exercise where you you know, depending on a, a, a particular um, problem or, or situation, you would go into a corner uh, depending on how you would react in that situation. And so, and then from that, they would sort of describe how your values have made you, um, you know, respond to the situation that way. And so that was really interesting because you learn a lot about yourself and your values and your ethics. And, and you know, I think the other thing I learnt was about protecting yourself and realising that you need to be there and present with the caller during the call and be as, um, you know, empathic as you can, but you need to also then remove yourself emotionally. um, Mm. And so they sort of had this visual, it was a bit like getting inside the cage with the bird and you're you're another bird and you're having a chat with the bird but then you've got to you've got to get it back out of the cage and close the door and that's their stuff and you're free to go mm, you know cuz yeah i, I definitely agree with that cuz you know we take on other people's energies and it'd be very draining and you know to take on all these you know people's pains you know to to identify with them which which you do, and then to be able to say, well, that's not mine, and to be able to let it go and, and give it back. So, um, have and you understanding got your triggers as well? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you got any tools for people that are taking on people's other people's like energies and stuff like? That? Is there anything that you use then to help with, um, like you say, like with the birds and and stuff like that? What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I uh, use this really cool. Um, example on stage when it came to bullying because, you know, especially with words, I think cyberbullying, this kind of thing, mm. which is very common, yeah. and kids are taking their lives, you know. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of this is due to a lack of resilience. So children 
um, this kind of generation have been rescued so much from consequences. Mm. So there's a lot of helicopter parenting going on. And, mm. uh, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, Billy, he's left his lunch at home and, um, you know, the school office rings mum and says, hey, mum, Billy's left his lunch at home. Oh, okay, I'll get in the car and I'll race Billy's lunch back to the school. Now, Billy never learns the consequence of leaving his lunch behind by going hungry mm. and going, you know, that didn't feel too good. Tomorrow I'm going to remember my lunch because there was actually a physical consequence, mm. and a natural one. A very yeah. natural one. Mm. It's not dangerous. It's a natural consequence of his actions that he forgot his lunch. So this is what we're doing to kids is we're rescuing them and then they don't develop coping mechanisms and resilience to deal with the real world. So mm. when real tough issues come along in their life, um, you know, they they don't have the, the tools, the resilience and the coping mechanisms to deal with it. And then we're living in an instant gratification world as well. So... Uh, everything is like now, now, now. We want it now. And unfortunately, that goes to the pain as well. Mm. So for a lot of children um, and teenagers that don't, obviously, as you know, with the brain and how it develops and the prefrontal cortex doesn't develop till, you know, for a man in their 20s, for a woman in their late teens, early 20s, you know, so they don't have any concept of forward thinking or how this, how things may get better in the future. There's no logic to it. so yeah. And so they can't see that. So they think in the moment. They want instant gratification. They want an instant um, kind of uh, relief. I'm feeling pain. I don't know how to deal with it because I haven't got any resilience. Mm. I want to And no coping mechanisms either. So yeah. suicide is often the option, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, just some stats out, um, So for people that may not know. So generally around about 3,100 and something have people have committed suicide in the last, I don't know, three years, or no, every year for the last three years. It's around about that figure. It obviously plus or minus, you know, 100 or 200 people. So that's um, that's one, that's eight people a day commit suicide in Australia. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, 75% of them are men. Um, but uh, something that was really interesting that I found out is... The amount of attempted suicides is, it is absolutely crazy. So I think it's like sixty thousand. That's only people that they that they know. Um, so how many people have attempted and, and you know not? And also when it comes to suicide, like how many people have died in a single vehicle car accident and it's been put down as a car accident and not you? So the suicide may be a much higher. Um, and the amount of people that attempt suicide and the amount of people that have thought of suicide is even higher again. So. Um, yeah, it is such a big issue uh, at the moment. So I think it's really important. And people like yourself, they're doing such great work. Um, and it's just something that I think needs to be at the forefront of, uh, you know, employers, forefront at the schools. You know, we, they need to, we need to really rethink, uh, as you're talking about so important, like rethink how we are parenting our kids, right? Because that's, that's the next generation. Um, and something that I've learned is, you know, in our life, you know, some people like you have obviously a lot more, but um, gen a general per uh, everyday person goes through three major injustices, like whether it's like, you know, a death of a parent or, you know, I mean, it's something that life is just not fair. Like, you know, I mean, it's something that's really major and the average person goes through at least three of them. Um, so we know this. So we know that 
doesn't matter who you are, you're going to go through a lot of shit, right? Mm. So, okay, cool. Now that we know this, how can we prepare people? You know, instead of, you know, wanting to helicopter parenting or wanting to, you know, let your kids go through, you know, and I, I see it a lot with, have you seen like the monkey bars for back in the 1900s, what it looked like? You know what I mean? No. It was, oh yeah, it's like, you know, 10 meters in the air, like, you know, it's massive, it's, you know, and there were kids running up it, and you were just like, holy crap, like today, they would never allow that, you know, and they put bubble wrap, you know, these, you know like this yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think, you know, people have got to be aware, and you've got to let the kids make mistakes. you just got to let them make the mistakes. Stop trying to stop them, because then they don't get these coping mechanisms. They don't get um, uh, the consequence of falling off the monkey bars or whatever. And I know this may, some people are like, oh, well, then, you know, some people, some of the kids may have died, like, falling off that. Yeah, okay, like, one or two kids may have died, but then because they haven't learnt the resilience, they haven't, you know, I mean, another 10 now are dying from suicide as opposed to two. Does that make sense? Like, uh, it so does. I'm not trying to, like... You know, say, you know, you Condone should, it. No. yeah, you're not trying to say, yeah, let kids, you know, do stupid stuff, but at the same time, you've got to let them learn their own lessons, like, you know, not take the, the lunch to school. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, that must be, I'm not a parent, so I don't know. Um, you, you might be able to speak more. It would be hard as a parent to, to not want to give your kids everything, especially if you didn't have everything. So mm -hmm. I understand the psychology and, and wanting to do that for your kids. Um, if you didn't have that, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so can you shed some light on uh, on that since Absolutely. you are a, a, a parent? That's, that's <laughs> really interesting because especially if you have come from a separated marriage and, mm. you know, you, you have that kind of um, uh, that dynamic, I guess, of, of one parent against the other or, off, you know, offset the other. But I, uh, yeah, I think it's, it, it's really interesting. I think overcompensating either from your past experience as a child or the fact that you uh, have come from a split marriage uh, is really important that you are consciously aware of that and because it is a detriment to to the child if, if you um, if you do that so uh, you know having that conscious awareness is really important um, and I, I I just think children, that's part of life, uh, you know, the fact that people split up, you know, marriages break up, it's more common than ever now. Mm, and yep. so children going through that is is like you said, you know, the three kind of um, indifferences or whatever might happen in your life, um, you know, that's part of life. And if children know that life is a roller coaster, you know, and, and it is tough and it, it's good and it's bad and, and it's a matter of getting up again and you know, looking at the hope of a new day and going, you know, I can get through this. Um, it's really important for children to develop that stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think it's important that, um, like I, I know I've spoke about it before on, on the podcast with other guests, but that, you know, teaching kids, it's kind of like that video game, you know, scenario uh, or that video game analogy that I like to use. It's like, you know, you're born and, you know, your first level of life is like, you know, the first stage where, you know, everything's kind of given to you, you're fed, blah, 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 and everything's sort of easy. And that's like the first level of the video game. It's quite easy, right? And then you get up through the levels and like each level, you learn a new skill, like mm. maybe jumping over or whatever, you know, you learn the new skill. And then at the end of like the level, you got like the boss, which is like the, you know, the big baddie you got to overcome. And, and life's, and, you know, like these challenges that we get through life is kind of like the boss, you know? But it's learning all these lessons through the through your days and through your levels 
that when you get to the boss, you've got the tools to then beat the boss. So when you're tackled with a challenge, the boss, um, and you, you, know, you don't beat it, you know, then what in a video game, your kids will sit there all day and try, you know what I mean? They're determined to get past this level and you've got to try and take that sort of mentality into life. Like when you come up against challenges, when you come up against stuff, you know, instead of throwing your hands up and, oh, you know, give up, you know, you know that once you get past this, because, you know, there's probably going to be more challenges that come through, you, the, the stuff that you're going to learn in that challenge and, you know, that, that grit and that determination, the resilience that you talk about, um, that's the type of stuff that, you know, you need to let these kids know that, you know, you're just learning life skills to then move up to the next level of your life. And then, you know, I mean, when you go to that level, you know, guess what? There's probably going to be another challenge that comes along and, mm. and that's okay. And you're actually learning and growing throughout your whole life. And these aren't going to, you know, I think Jim Rohn said it best, you know, you know, life, you know, you don't want to wish for life to be easy. You want to wish that you get better, right? That's mm. the whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. Better than yesterday. And I love that analogy that you use about the games because I think kids can really relate to that. Exactly, and that's so why. Much, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, look, if we didn't overcome something as babies, we'd all be crawling around still today, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's <laughs> You know right. what I mean? So yeah. we, we ended up having to fall and stumble and trip and fall and bang our heads a few times, and now we're standing up and walking. So mm. that was something we overcame naturally. Yeah, and it's funny you say that, but it, uh, I, this is probably going a bit off topic, but... It's funny how, like, when a kid fails, you know what I mean? You're, like, walking, you're like, come on, no, good try. Like, you know, you go again, go again. But as, like, adults, if, like, you know, we fail at, like, a business, people look at you like, oh, you fail, you know? Instead of, like, going, oh, good try, mm. no, let's, let's have another go, let's mm. have another go. Because, you know, that's how you became to walk, right? Is mm. You kept failing until you've eventually done it. And that's mm. how we should be with, you know, business, with mm. life, with, with everything. You know, failure isn't... I know it's cheesy and you probably hear it all the time. Failure isn't a failure if you learn the lessons that you need to, to learn. Yeah. But uh, I think it's yeah definitely real important to install that yeah that level of resilience because you look at you know our parents and our grandparents and what they went through and how tough their life was. Like um, you know we've we've actually got it quite easy today. Like in in comparison, and I think um, I was just talking to Adam at the front before, and he was. You know, every day he wakes up and he watches this video of this guy. He had an accident. He can't talk. Oh, he, he can talk, but through a voice like a thingo. But, you know, paraplegic from there down. And, you know, he's like, every day he wakes up just to be grateful that he can um, still talk through a voice thing to be able to breathe. Like, these are the stuff that we Amazing. don't Magic. Yeah, you know I mean? Like and, and when you talk about gratitude, you know... Um, Oh, here Which we I go. Don't get me and Donna going. You know, this too. is really <laughs> our subject, right? This is what we love, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think when I look at my life, uh, you know, I say that I'm grateful for it. And people go, well, how could you be grateful for all that trauma and all that abuse and all, you know, your mum and everything? I say, well, I'm not necessarily saying I'm grateful for the, uh, for the experiences that happened to me, but what I'm grateful for is what I've learned because of those experiences mm. that I wouldn't have had I not gone through them and that I'm now able to help others because of. Mm. And that's a gift. That's something to be truly grateful for, you know. Um, so that's that's a beautiful place to be if you can be in that place, space. Mm. Yeah, I, I, an another uh, analogy that, you know, the, the, f the harder your life is or the harder the challenge is, 
the equal amount of opportunity of, of growth there is, you know what I mean, of good. So everything in life has got a balance of positive and negative, no matter what the experience is. And it is very tough in the moment when you're going through it to see the, the, the good and things, you know what I mean? It's not until later on that you see, but to be able to teach yourself in the moment that there is equal amounts of positive in this is a very empowering way to look at any sort of challenge. And I know that's tough. Like I'm not sitting here saying like it's you know easy, everyone can do it. You know, no, I still struggle with it myself, but... Um, to you know, to train yourself every time something comes up in your life, just know that there's an equal amount of positive and negative to every situation, mm-hmm. and look for the positive. You know, look for what went right or what for what you're going to learn or you know, what you what you're going to get out of it. Um, it. Is definitely real empowering. Something that I think is real important to. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's man's people. search for meaning, isn't it? That's what that book's all about. Mm, that's a great book. Yeah, isn't it Vic- incredible? Victor Frank. Yeah. 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 Just uh, he he lived and breathed that and in Auschwitz and, you know, just his whole experience of even when the the soup arrived to him and it was fly-infested and in that moment, you know, he saw the gratitude in this meal that was being presented to him of fish heads with flies flying all around it. And, you know, it was, it's, it's fascinating how people behave differently in those environments. Mm. You know, one will share their bread another will steal the bread, depending mm. on, um, yeah, how they respond yeah. to their environment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Getting off the subject. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's going to happen a lot, I'm sure, throughout this whole... But I suppose I want to keep trying to come back um, and we'll t- talk about gratitude and stuff. But, I'll, I'll, like, things are popping up. So many things are popping up in my head. I want to try and get everything out. Um, but I just want to go back to... So what do you think the difference was or is between you and your siblings and why you were able or are able to have moved, you know, to see the positives and that, and, and they haven't? Is there anything that you could uh, maybe share to know, you know what the difference was with you and then be able to, like, tell other people, like, this is, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and I really... I don't know that I can fully answer that other than yep. to say that um, the level of healing and therapy that I've done on myself, my personality type, so being an extrovert, being the sort of person that I am and maybe the way I um, responded to my environment in the moment was different. You know, we, we all have a model of the world, how we see life mm. and everybody's model of the world's different. So, um, you know, I really can't fully under, uh, answer that. Um, no, yeah, that, that is a tough, very tough question. Yeah, yeah I just thought I'd... Uh, cause it's a good one. Yeah, uh, I know there was... Uh, of, yeah, there is a study done saying, you know, of they had like 100 twins, you know what I mean? And they were, you know, obviously they got the same DNA, the same everything, and one was like, you know, in jail and the other one was really successful and they were like, well, what difference you grew up in the same house so you know and mum the answer was always the same it was like well one was like well I'm this way because of my dad and the one that's in jail because like his dad was obviously in jail and did drugs and whatever so he went along well I, I'm like this because of my dad and the other one said the exact same answer I'm like this because of my dad so one was like I'm following my dad and I was like well I'm never going to be like my dad right so exactly the same experience exactly the same but all that difference was their mindset around the perception of I either, you know, well, of course I'm just going to follow what my dad did, or 
there's no fucking way I'm going to be mm. like my dad. Mm. Um, so that's really cool. Fascinating. You know, mm. we talk, we've talked a bit about coding before, and isn't it amazing when a child is given a certain message as a child, you're very creative. You're, you're an amazingly creative person. And then if we put two twins, myself I'm talking specifically of, my twin brother is incredibly artistic. And I was always told that I am, I have a business mind and I'm very, lo- well, not logical, but I'm a, I'm a businesswoman. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be the successful um, you know, businesswoman. And so I n- stared away from the creativity. And so that's, it, it's because often of the messaging, the coding that you have as a child on how mm. you respond. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting because um, yeah, I suppose that's the whole nature versus nurture, uh, which you know, I mean, there is I think there is a level of uh, both. You know, um, obviously everyone's got their own DNA and their own sort of um, life lessons that they need to learn. I suppose that's going a bit spiritual, but yeah, the um, dharma. Yeah, but then there's also that that nurture. You know what I mean? Um, of you know how you treat your kids. So there's a fine line between you know like you're saying, of, you know, being over um, cautious or over, you know what I mean? But then you can also let them make their own mistakes, but, you know, you're giving them, them positive, positive messages and, you know, letting them know that, you know, they are, you know, awesome people and, and creative and all that type of mm. stuff. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a fine line. Um, mm. So how did you find with your kids, like what, what are the things that you did with your kids that were a lot different, I suppose? Mm. Well, I was very conscious of really encouraging my kids to be depend- independent. So I didn't, want them to, I didn't want them to be needy to me. Um, I wanted them to be kind of healthy, balanced, independent um, adults growing up. And I wanted them to understand the consequences of their actions and how they need to be prepared for the real world and have the skills that is are necessary. Mm. I remember my daughter. There was a significant time when my daughter came, overcame her seventh birthday, and it was a, it was obviously a very kind of uh, just you know it triggered a lot of stuff from my childhood. So as soon as she turned eight, I was very happy that hey, you know, you got over that, even though. Really, she's she's not gone through any trauma, um, but it was just something mental in my in my timeline. Really, that yep. was a little bump in the road. And yeah. I was like, Yes. Yep. So um, and so it's really important too when we talk about overcoming stuff, overcoming any challenges, is to celebrate the win when we do, mm. because you know the chemicals are released in the brain are incredible, and if we can try and get addicted to those chemicals really healthy for us to then start to pursue you know bigger goals and that kind of thing so my daughter she was actually bullied really badly in year nine which is a very common year for girls to be bullied in year nine so it's about the age 14 and she was bullied by her best friend Uh, something happened between them and they were just inseparable and then all of a sudden this girl turned almost the entire sort of group of friends against my daughter and it was a very traumatic time for my daughter it went on for most of year nine so it was it was very extended and I um, encouraged her to go and see a psychologist and she did and the psychologist gave her lots of tools for coping while she was at school and coming into school and having to see the 
the group of friends and that kind of thing. But one thing that I had to be really tough about, and it was a really tough decision, it was talk about tough love, I had to take all social media off there because most of the bullying was happening online. Mm. And when that is their world, you know, we're talking Snapchat, we're talking Instagram, um, not so much Facebook, um, but that's their world. And so I had to make that decision that that was not, you're just not going to have it. Because mm. it's negative at the moment. It's not a positive um, experience for you. And all she had was YouTube, basically. She could look at YouTube videos and that kind of thing. And Messenger. Um, and that was only for a select group of people. And I remember at the end of that year, she came up to me and she said, I, s- I asked her, would you like Instagram back? You're not getting Snapchat till next year. but you And she said to me, I I actually don't miss it anymore, Mum. I actually don't need it. And she said, I'm really glad that you did that, even though it was really hard at the time, because um, it made me present Mm. and it made me recognise how important other things in life are. And it was... Yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where I thought, wow, okay, I've done a good job here. Yeah, <laughs> At yeah. the time, it wasn't easy to do, you know. Um, she th- slammed the door and all yeah, kinds I'm of things sure. swearing at me, you know. <laughs> the big tantrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I just had to stick to it. Yeah. So do you feel like, um, you know, I mean, you, you've, um, did you, obviously your programs are about resilience. Mm. Um, so we might uh, move into, like, the resilience. So... What are you teaching when you go to your schools or you do your presentations about resilience? And did you learn them through yourself or did you, like, use them with your kids? And, and that's, you know, is that how you sort of, like, had they how did the resilience program come about? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the first part of, obviously, my presentations is is normally about sharing my, tool, my, my story so that, you know, people understand where I'm coming from and the experiences mm. that I've had and what adversity I've overcome. So, uh, And then the peace tools, which are the anchor of my presentations and, and both my school um, presentations and my s- children's show and also my um, speaking as a keynote speaker. And these peace tools were uh, phenomenal, actually. I did test them with my children, but they came to me in a meditation one day. So I... Uh, I just started to present a show called The Dream Guards with my um, husband at the time. And I was sharing my story, as I said, with the flip chart and that kind of thing. And I remember thinking, we need to provide some tools for these kids. Like, it's all fun and there's a lot of, uh, you know, singing and jumping around and and exercise and all that kind of thing and then my story. But I want to leave them with something that they can take away with them. And I thought I I really wanted to use the universal sign for stop, which is the hands up high in the air, right? And I wanted um, an acronym that they could remember when they walked away. And so I had that intention when I went into my meditation and I came out of this meditation and my peace tools were born. And I remember just feeling phenomenal. I was like, oh, my God, these peace tools, like they're just incredible. And I wrote them down and... um, it's just a beautiful message because everybody wants peace in their life. Everybody wants peace in the world. Mm. And 
Um, How relevant is that right now, especially with more than ever, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a beautiful message, uh, beautiful acronym, and an easy way to remember it. And so, yeah. So these peace tools, uh, P, protect yourself and be powerful, and it's about standing tall with your shoulders back and your head held high. And it's statistically proven that if you do that, you are, um, you know, really. Um, showing how confident you are and you are less likely to be bullied. So th- mm. that's, that's the proof so there, uh, that. there's oh sorry, I'll just uh, in, so yep. there's um Jordan Peterson talks a lot about it in his book too and there's a lot of science behind physiology and how physiology affects your mood, which then affects your behaviours. So just by power posing, which is what you're basically um Amy Cuddy, I think is there's a good YouTube video with her talking about it. So just power posing, so put your shoulders back, you put it in power position. Um, can I think raise your testosterone by like twenty percent and lower your cortisol? So automatically, it's sending you know letting let, let chemicals go and telling your brain that, oh hey, I must be like you know confident because of my physiology is sending all these signals. So your physiology is just like energy or emotional energy sending all this information to your brain saying, hey, I must be confident or or I must be powerful right now because I'm in this position of that powerful right. So just by using your physiology, and this includes breathing, because we can control our breathing, right? We can change it however we like. So you can control your breathing and you control your physiology, which will send all these signals to the brain to then help you be in a, a, a state of mind that you you know, that you want to be in to then help you go through, you know, the way you change your state and then you look at things differently, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of science on this, guys, so you can definitely go and look it up mm. yourself. But, yeah, physiology and breathing are two massive things that you can do mm. to change your state and to change the way you're looking at things. So yeah. it's quite, f- it's quite uh, phenomenal, really. I mean, you look at Rocky Pose, the Rocky Pose, you know, and, and Rocky Balboa, yeah. and how he had his arms up in the air, you know, um, and that w- that's an incredibly empowering pose, by the way. Mm. So if you're ever going to be on the stage, that's what I, uh, I do that before I go out, and it's an incredibly empowering pose, actually. Um, mm. Yeah, so, so then that and yeah, so for me, I use that, and then um, before I go on stage, I obviously do that. Uh, but yeah, a big part of it is uh, like the yeah, like the gratitude as well, like puts you in a very powerful state to be able to be grateful to pass on wisdom to you know, I mean, other kids and other people, and um, yeah, I've got my own little. I'm sure you do mm-hmm. got your own little rituals to get yourself in the state of mind. It's all about you know changing your state to put yourself in the state of mind to, to handle whatever situation. It is that you're in because, um, you know, you can do the opposite with this too. So you can well, be slumped down like that and, you know, I mean, the, all the chemicals go the other way then and it's just telling your brain, well, I must be depressed or must be, you know, tired or, you know, I mean, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, th- th- there's a lot of um, science uh, that, that goes behind doing that. So, yeah, mm. definitely recommend it mm. for, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. So then the next letter is E and it stands for escape the situation. So... Um, you know, in whatever circumstance you're in, whether you're being bullied or abused, and, w- and this goes online as well, mm. is to remove yourself. So, you know, walk away, run away. Um, you know, I like to skip, <laughs> so I skip away. But, yeah. you know, just get yourself away from the situation. And th- that's turning off your device and moving away from the computer, whatever it might be. So yep. um, so that's the next one. Then A is armour. And this is about using your imagination. Um 
to build a powerful armor around your body. So we can do this in any way we want, visualize whatever you want. But it's about not allowing people's opinions and, you know, words or whatever to come past your armor because it's just too powerful. So, you know, uh, and that's the gift I was talking about before, you know, this beautiful uh, gift. It's it's one that, it's actually a, I believe it's some kind of um, Buddhist um, kind of story about how, you know, um, passing a gift to another person. And if the person declines the gift, then who owns the gift? Is it the person that's passing the gift? Mm. Do they still own the gift or is it the person that's declined the gift? And, you know, you ask the audience and, of course, they're going to say, well, it's the person that's passing the gift on. They still own the gift because the person's declined it. Okay, so if we're in a situation where we are, um, you know, hurtling abuse at someone, you know, whether it be online or whether it be, you know, face-to-face, if you decline that, turn off your device or decide, I'm not listening, erase it or just walk away, who owns the abuse? It's the person that's projecting the abuse on someone else. It's not mm. you because mm. you have declined it. So um, so this powerful armour you can build around your body, and I say, you know, a lion never loses sleep over the opinions of sheep, so be the lion. Yeah. Yep. The next one is C, and it stands for creating strong friendships in your community. So it's all about yeah, community. Yeah, can I just stop you for a yeah, second? Yeah, 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 so yeah. Before you go on to the C, sure. so um, with, with that protectiveness, so I think something that, will help you will help people when it comes to like protecting yourself is realize that you know anyone that's throwing abuse at you or whatever it's just a projection of what's going on inside them it's never normally about you like it's very very rarely about the actual person um so once you get an understanding of this you you can look at someone throwing abuse at you and you can actually come from a level of empathy and compassion for that person you're like man they must be hurting heaps inside to be able to project and throw that type of abuse. Like, if that person was happy and at peace, do you think they'd be doing that? No, they're not. So um, that's a good way for me to protect myself is to know that, not take anything personally. Like, you know I mean? Whether it's, you know, rejection or whether it's, you know, abuse or, or whatever it is, nine times out of ten or even, you know, like nearly ten times out of ten, it's got zero to do with you at all. Um and I think that's a really important takeaway mm. and something that has really helped me like with my life and helped me uh, navigate through when there's been times of you know people are you know throwing abuse or people are, are acting in even like a boss even at work so if a boss at work's been a real pain in the ass um, to say it as nice as possible but uh, yeah I mean I then try and relate back to well why are they acting this mm. way you know is it with me or maybe they've got issues at home with their partner or maybe they've got you know what i mean and being able to do yourself that and take yourself away from the situation and go well it's not about me uh is a great way to protect yourself Absolutely. um yeah, and another thing i remember you talking about before i know this is i'm going way back but when you're saying about taking on people's energies and stuff like that you know this arm is a way to protect yourself but if you do happen to take on energy from someone else or the situation or life or whatever a real powerful tool that I've found uh, works and I know works is like go into like the ocean or running water or even the shower and just close your eyes and just picture the ocean or whatever, the water just washing away that negative energy and just that visualisation and you 
Like it's it's Beautiful. very 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 powerful, um, and I know it definitely works. In especially if you're in the shower, just turn the shower on, close your eyes, just picture that water running over your face, running and just grabbing all the negative energy from the day, grabbing it all down, and just watch it going down the sink, and you'll find Beautiful. that you'll wake or open your eyes, and just doing that for a couple of minutes, how different. And then you're like, okay, cool. Now I can start, mm. you know, my afternoon or whatever without carrying that energy um, that you've picked up throughout the whole day mm. is another cool way of um, of that armor. You know what I mean? Of you know, if That's someone so has good. penetrated the armor, he's a cool tool to. I love that. Get it away. Love so, that. Yeah. yeah, and just remembering hurt people, hurt people. It's exactly. such an easy way to remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said that because I was supposed to say that, and then. It Obviously, I've got rambling on. <laughs> yeah, so that was awesome. Uh, yeah, so fantastic. then the C is, yeah. like I said, com, uh, creating strong friendships in your community. So, And now more than ever, right, with COVID and everything, we've felt really disconnected. And so um, having a strong support network around you, friends, family, that y- your tribe that you can reach out to for support and help, Mm. And, and showing that in return too, whether that be in the school community, just show some kindness and compassion and have each other's back a little bit. You know, we're all sisters and brothers. We are all connected. And that's what this is all about, which we'll talk about yeah. in a minute. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. you know, and this is a good, you know, support. You know, if you want some support, yeah. here's a great app. You know what I mean? Like, and find yourself, yeah, resources, uh, whether it be friends, family or whatever, and uh, people that you trust and, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of um, studies and science out there today, you know what I mean, of, you know, if you've gone through something traumatic or whatever, um, just being able to talk about it and, you know I mean, replay the situation, like they call it, um, like exposure therapy, I suppose, the more that you're able to sort of like speak about it and, and then, you know, I mean, it gets easier and easier. And then, you know, by the end of it, you're able to, like, speak about whatever happened and not even have a, a reaction to it. Because, you know, I mean, you've, um, every time, as long as you're not doing it in a negative way, in a, in a like, shameful, it's my fault way, it's just being, like, being able to say it uh, is, a, is a good way to, you know, expose yourself to that and, and not, as long as it's, like I said, not, not as if, as long as it's not in a negative light mm. and you're not actually replaying it and, and, and seeing it as being more traumatic mm. than what it is, which we can do as well as humans because mm. our brain's trying to protect us. But if you're doing that with a psychologist, like a trained person or someone that you trust, then uh, it's a good way to... Um, Heal. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah, yep. sure. So the last one is E, and that's kind of uh, marrying up with the app. So the E is about expressing your emotions. So it's about reaching out for the help and support you need if you're being bullied or abused mm. and being the upstander in your community. So if you see somebody being bullied, bullied or abused, also to reach out. So there's many, many support services available. You know, we have an incredible array of of support for any situation, basically. So reach out for that support. Mm. And it's not a weakness, it's a strength. So reach out for that support and heal from whatever has happened and, and hopefully help others to do the same. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what you, well, I know you said then, so the, with if you see other people getting bullied to step in, like that can be very tough and confronting and like I, I definitely know this, but uh, I know it's something that I picked up at the mines, uh, like the standard you walk past is the standard you accept, right? So if you are able to walk past that, then you're showing that 
you are accepting that as normal behavior, which, um, and I'm not saying like, you know, to step in if, you know, if you're going to get in harm's way or anything, but, you know, if you're able to then, you know, it's very powerful, not only for yourself and, you know, staying true to your values and staying congruent to who you are, but you're also teaching other people that, you know, I mean, it's okay to stand up and that, you know, to do the right thing. And it can be very inspiring and very empowering to other people. For you just to take the action, the aligned action to yourself, which will then help them go, well, you know what? That person stood up to a bully, like, you know, like, you know, I can do it. And that's how you, you create a culture change, right? Is, is yeah. to be able to, um, to, to do that. And I had another point, but I completely it's lost it. You know, you're one. really showing authentic leadership, aren't you? Mm, yeah. Oh, the other thing was, um, yeah, when you're saying how hard, it, how, um, how much courage it takes uh, to to open up, and I, I I don't like the word vulnerability because the word vulnerability, uh, in a sense, was used like vulnerable in a physical sense, and vulnerable in a physical sense means weakness, right? So I don't like using the word vulnerable, but like I like the word you use is like courage, you know, what I mean, or brave, you know, and for anyone that's been through anything before, anyone that wants to stand up to a bully and be, you know what I mean, and to be able to talk about the emotions and stuff like that, like that stuff there takes so much courage and so much um, inner strength to do that that is so, like, I mean, we can't look at these people as being, like, that's why I said I don't like the word vulnerable because it evokes, like, weakness. You know, I like to use the word definitely courage and it's so hard to, to speak up but it is, you know, I mean, generally the hardest thing to do is the right thing to do, right? And, uh, yeah, to teach people, like, if they do speak up, to be like, wow, like, you know, that you're so powerful, you're, you know what I mean? And and let's just change this, you know I mean, of, of mm. it being a weakness and let's, like, put this capsulation around it of, you know what I mean, that's, you know, it takes so much bravery and so much strength and courage to be able to open up and and, and say how you feel and, and, and stuff like that, especially as young like men or young um, guys, we're taught to, you know, it's it's actually easier to sit there and not say anything. Uh, so that is an actual weakness. That's, you know what I mean? Like, to me, we need to change, look, let people know that, that is actually weakness. You know what I mean? Because, you know, okay. generations ago, that was looked at as being strong. Well, he's not letting these... Emo- no, he's just stuffing them down with drugs and alcohol mm. and every other negative. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not the way... Uh, to to go about it and um yeah I know uh for me like I know that was you know, I never talked about any of my stuff because I was you know I mean like my dad was very when he was well I never seen him you know what I mean like um never seen him cry or whatever once in our life or express any emotion like I remember at um like our granddad's funeral like he didn't even like cry or nothing I was just like and you know what I mean so we were just sort of seen as you know that's what you did as a, as a man like you just sort of bottled it up you didn't say anything you just kind of got on with life you know that's what you do like um and we're taught that that's that's strong that's strength when it's not um and you, you know you say yourself how hard was it to to open up the first time and how much strength did that take that's that's way more powerful it takes way more strength and bravery than what it did to sit in silence and and to not say anything right sure 100 percent mm so yeah, I think we'll go on to um to this this baby here behind us, <laughs> Donna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this is the global gratitude chain movement, and um, this is a tiny slice of it, <laughs> tiny piece of it. It's four and a half football fields long now, 
the big plan with this was that it was going to go on the Alan DeGeneres show, but then there's no Alan DeGeneres show anymore. <laughs> so we're aim, aiming for Oprah. Anybody knows <laughs> Oprah? <laughs> All right, Oprah Can't it is. reach out. Um, so there's an interesting story behind this. So one day, one evening on a Saturday evening, a family reached out to me. Uh, they were friends of the family because their 14-year-old girl in year nine was being relentlessly bullied for <coughs> nine months. And she'd had enough. She was suicidal. And the parents were beside themselves, not knowing what to do. And they reached out to me, and I gave them a few tools in the moment. She can't be left alone, da-da-da, suicide watch. And I will be there in the morning to come and talk to her and, and do what I can, you know. And so I arrived on Sunday morning with some resources, some positive affirmations that she could have on her mirror, and um, some books, and w- one of them is um, From Bully to Brilliant, which is absolutely phenomenal book on bullying. Karen Clark, she's the Sunshine Coast author. Mm. Okay. She could be a good one for your podcast, by the way. Cool, um, so I'll, I'll write put that you in one touch down. With her. <laughs> I'll put you in touch with her. Uh, and anyway, um, yes, so um, nine months of being bullied relentlessly, and... I uh, spoke to her, and once I'd finished, I shared my story with this um, 14-year-old girl. And I'll never forget it. Once I'd finished sharing my story, she came up to me, and she hugged me with tears in her eyes, and she said, if you can get through all of that, I can get through this. And within about three weeks, we had a DreamGuards community event fundraising for some charity, and she offered to to um, volunteer at one of the uh, event tables. And I had different activities set up at different tables before the show. And one of them was a gratitude table. And it was just little links, pieces of paper. And um, people would write down what they were grateful for in their life. And over that day, she just started to make a little Christmas chain. And this Christmas chain, she hung around her neck and up to her I said wow that, that's that's amazing what yeah this is all the gratitude everybody's been writing all the and um yes so that was the start of the global gratitude chain movement so mm. um and, and now I have received links from most countries around the world cool people have stopped and taken a mindful moment just to really think about what they're grateful for in their life. And some of the shares have been really profound. Uh, you know, I'm grateful that I've survived a, um, a hold-up, like a, a, a um, armed hold-up. Yeah. I'm grateful that I've survived a helicopter crash. I'm grateful that I've survived escaping the Bosnian War, um, three suicide attempts, domestic violence, all kinds of shares. So... So they're quite profound. Definitely the very powerful. Yeah, yeah, beautiful energy, be- beautiful history. And, yeah, we've got to keep it going. We've got to keep the energy of this chain moving. And more so now than ever that we've kind of over the last two years felt quite disconnected to humanity um, with COVID. And yeah. I think it's more so more important than ever. So these are sisters and brothers side by side, um, you know, um, from all cultures, from all races, from all religions, taking a mindful moment and sharing their gratitude. Yeah, that's really that's awesome. That's really cool. So if anyone wants to uh, add to that, 
Um, you can obviously get a hold of me or you can get a hold of how can we get a hold of you, Donna? On my website probably, donnaleeperfect.com and that's with the hyphen, donnalee, L-E-I-G-H, perfect.com. So, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so down the bottom there, Donna hyphen Lee Perfect, um, if anyone wants to get a hold of her with that. So you talk when you're talking about there about um, this girl reached out and she was suicidal and you said, oh, you went through like a bit of a protocol. Um, so yet I'm guessing that's what you learnt from the lifeline. Yeah. So just to let people know at home, if, if someone does reach out to them and you know, maybe, maybe they are you know, thinking about suicide or whatever, like what, what should people do? Like what's the best form of action for someone to do or what can we look out for with people if, you know, I mean, they look to be, you know, I mean, you, you think they are suicidal. Have you got any sort of, um, yeah, I suppose tools or anything you can help people yeah, in that well, situation? Yeah, well, there are some specific kind of signs we should look for when people are showing signs of suicide and um, some of those are isolation, so they tend to pull back from their social network quite a bit and mm -hmm. they isolate themselves more. They are uh, quite withdrawn and um, quite introverted. Generally, they'll start to really withdraw. Um, they quite often will give away important things, that the, the possessions that they have. So things that are quite, they treasure in their life, they'll start to mm. give them away. Um, they'll start to talk about how hopeless their life is and how there's no hope, there's no, no point. Um, so there'll be little sort of, little um, in the conversation uh, you'll get to read little s messages and signs so um, in any of those cases it's really important that you have the resources to be able to gear them towards some service like Lifeline and I think Lifeline really is probably one of the best mm. for them to reach out to definitely the one most well known one anyway mm. yeah. but then you've got Headspace for I think it's 12 to 25 year olds they're not open 24 hours a day 7 days a week as far as I know so I don't know that their service is available all around the clock mm. Lifeline definitely is um, Men's Line, um, DV 1800 Respect, that kind of thing um, so there are a lot of services and it's really important you reach out to professional and then from there support the person as much as you can in helping them heal and work through mm. their issues. Yeah, I know another one that they talk about a lot is, you know, people getting their affairs in order, you know what I mean? Like sorting out, all of a sudden they're sorting out life insurance, all of a sudden they're sorting out, you know, like things that that's a good one. Would normally never, they would never be looking to Writing do. Writing their wills. Writing yep. their wills or, you know what I mean, um, reaching out to people and going, hey, man, you've been a really good friend, like, as if, like, well, yeah, but, you know, yeah. like, they're True. trying to, like, you know, let you know that, you know what I mean, like, that almost like they, that they're going, you know Getting what I mean? Getting some closure. Yeah, you know. Um, so then those are some other little cues that I know um, mm. are very important when it comes to, mm. to suicide as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's, there's a lot of support there for sure. And at the end of the day, it's, it, this is a hard message to say. I mean, first of all, we do need to have the conversations more so than ever before about suicide. So that conversation needs to be, um, you know, a, a, a regular conversation we're talking about and, and not to be afraid of it, you know. Are you, um, are you uh, in fear of hurting yourself or, you know, taking your life? And that's a tough conversation to have with somebody that you love. But mm. it's important you know the answer to that. 
mm. and um, you know having um, having the support, having the person there that they can reach out to, and it may be their closest friend, and then the friend um, you know helps them to ring Lifeline, but that sort of pinky pal, that person they can call on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's very important. Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think yeah, the big thing is is definitely reaching out and getting getting the support and being able to feel comfortable in reaching out to people. So, uh, just be open to um, to listening and, and not I suppose uh, not be judgmental or whatever. Just sort of like you know, uh, being open to people allowed to come to you. So yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what I say. You know, we have got two ears and one mouth. The reason, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do more listening and less speaking. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so yeah, have can you think of like any other um tools that you've used in your in your life to help you overcome um like situations or challenges? Definitely, uh, my fitness has helped me. Yeah, a lot. So I'm active every day, and I know that that really helps my mental health. Mm. So, you know, we know all the chemicals that are released when we exercise and and how important that is for our mental health. And for me, being outdoors and vitamin D is also another way for me to improve my mental health. So, And being in great gratitude, you know. So just being grateful for your environment, being in the moment mm. and not worrying about the future that's never, you know, is not a reality. Only this moment now is a reality. So trying to be as present as you can and, you know, um, uh, letting the past go. And if you are bringing up the past, you know, learn from it and and hopefully use it in an in a inspirational way. But being present and, and um, yeah, getting outdoors more, vitamin D, exercising. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of uh, science and study when it comes to exercise, uh, in particular exercising outside as well. So uh, I know for me, if I'm not exercising, like my heart, everything goes to pieces, right? It's just uh, it's so so important. And you know, I mean, I know there was a uh, I can't remember the doctor's name now, but he was like, if you could get all the benefits from exercise and put it in a pill, it'd be the most fucking sole pill in the world, right? So the amount of benefits that you get from and not condoning taking a pill that's gonna fix something. But uh yeah, the for me it's like it's almost like a building block for me than all my other habits come from sort of that exercise, you know what I mean? Uh yeah. And you know, I suppose um for for me, exercise, yeah, like I said, it's it's definitely a building block, and then from there, like gratitude is probably my other building block because you know, I mean, there are times when you're injured or whatever, and you can't, you know, use your can't exercise. So, uh, gratitude is another real powerful one. Like there's people there that you know, like we're talking about before that guy who couldn't move because he's like quadriplegic. Like you can't tell him to go exercise, right? But someone like the late Steve Hawkins, you know, at the end of his life, he couldn't do nothing but talk through a thing. Uh, a voice um, speaker or whatever. He couldn't move. He had one of the most, um, I suppose, one of the worst diseases you could get, that motor neuron disease. Like, you know, that would be a horrible life to live and to be able to live with that for so long. I think he was told he was only going to live for three more years. He lived for like 20 years or whatever it was. Um, but at the end of his life, they asked, like, you know, about his life, and he goes, oh, who could have wished for more? You know what I mean? Like, Beautiful. he was that happy with his life and most of us would be like 
know, we'd be down and out, right? You know, he'd just be, and he was like, who could have wished for more? And and for him to have said that, um, he was just so grateful for what he did. And that was one of the big tools that he used. You, you know, when it comes to like people like Einstein, when it comes to all these people that are really successful and, and really um, what we would call like, kind of mastered life you know and they all come back to gratitude so that's mm-hmm. why i know you're really yeah. big on it for me i'm massive on it gratitude uh is a fantastic tool that i would recommend anyone start you know, like a gratitude journal mm-hmm. start um yeah looking for things that you're grateful for throughout the day you know any situations that you you know traumas that like yourself that have been through write down all the positive all the stuff that you're grateful for you know one the lessons that i've that I've learned, and if it's just happened, it's very hard for you to have that foresight. Mm. But you know, what could I learn from this? You know, mm. and then be great, be grateful for that. So gratitude yeah. is even uh, in relationship breakups, for instance. You know, I mean, you can you, in the moment you're grieving and you're going through all that those levels of grief. But even in that moment, if you can be consciously aware instead of resisting it and why did it happen to me? Why not somebody else? What you know? What did I do wrong? Instead, actually being in flow with it and and recognizing that there's a lesson and why this is why this has ended. What what lesson? What thing skill did I need to learn that I didn't have prior to this relationship? Or what has it awakened me to within myself that I need to be um, in tune with? Yeah, that, yeah. Um, I've let go or I've sacrificed about myself mm. to be there. Yeah, I think uh, Eckhart Tolle, he said it really well, like life will give you exactly what you need for the for the best way of the evolu- ev- evolution of your consciousness or something like something along those lines. Yep. And I thought that was really beautiful. Yep. Like, um, yeah, when life throws something at you, like it's, you know, I think Tony Robbins says, you know, life's happening, you know, for you, not to you. Yeah. And, um, yep. yeah, there's a lot of different versions of, of that and that's uh, – that's a, a mindset. That's a, a way of thinking. That's that growth mindset as opposed to um, you know, not not uh, growth mindset. And and I, I love that equation of life, which I use a lot on the stage, and that's E plus R equals O. So the E is the event, whatever the event might be, whether it's a relationship breakup, whether it's COVID right now. And um, the R is our response to the event. And then the O at the end equals the outcome. So basically, the power is in the response mm. to this in this equation. So all the powers in the response, how we respond to the event creates our outcome. Mm. And this is why I think, um, yeah, me- meditation is another. I know if you, for me is another great tool because um, it, it's meditation for me. Like I know there's a lot of misconception when it comes to meditation. People like you're sitting there like in this lotus position and like you're not thinking. Like no thoughts come. Um, Unless if you were like Buddha or Jesus or whatever, like that's not that's not how the brain works. Like you know what I mean? Like you know, no, you're not supposed to get to a place of like you know no thoughts. The whole point of it is re- is recognizing and have the awareness of the thought coming in, and then not responding to that, and then being allowing it to then to go away. So you're still having these thoughts. You're still gonna have thoughts. That's like that's the way the mind works. It it wants to think. It's supposed to think. That's what that's what its job is. And it's not to have no thoughts, it's to allow the thought to come in, mm. 
not have any sort of response to it or to have any sort of emotional response to it or whatever and not get caught by that mm. thought and then because that thought wants to take you down this rabbit hole of da -da 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 -da, mm. you know what I mean mm. and then if that happens that's fine like you could so you could then have a thought you know my life's crap and then oh yeah this has happened on this girlfriend didn't like me and oh, all of a sudden you're going down this rabbit hole five minutes later you catch yourself right and you're like oh I went down okay cool back to and then keep yourself, and then mm. another thought will come. And mm. yeah, I mean, it's not about not thinking; it's cutting down the time that you can catch yourself going mm. down a rabbit hole, mm. and then coming back. So the first time might be five minutes, right? You catch yourself, you're like, that was five minutes, and I didn't even realize. And then next time it might be four and a half minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the thing is, is to, and I learned this through Vipassana. Anyone that's done Vipassana is amazing. I recommend it. It's ten days silent meditation. Um, you know, ten and a half hours of meditation a day for ten days straight, and there's no talking there's no books there's no stimulus it's just you and your you know and mm. you definitely learn um and after 10 days of that, <laughs> that <one. laughs> to be honest, yeah, it's very very powerful uh, i highly recommend doing it um but yeah you definitely learn um yeah like when it comes in you yeah you, know, you just got to cut down that time from when you're catching it and that's the whole point and by the end of it you'll see the thought coming in and be able to then let it go without even going down the rabbit hole. And that's once you start getting to that point, you're like, wow, that was really powerful. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, and then, but some days are going to be worse than the day before. Sure. And that's fine too. And be able to, to let that go. You know mm. what I mean? That whole, there's a great book, um, David Hawkins called Letting Go. I highly recommend everyone check that out too. And it's all about, you know, a lot of times, you know, everyone like, instead of forcing, um, like peace and love and all this into our life, if you can let go of all the negative stuff, like the hate and the guilt and the shame and all that, if you let go of all that, then all you can be left with it for this is peace and love. And it's all about letting go of the negative mm. and letting go of the blocks mm. to love and stuff instead of trying to grasp these things and bring it in. Mm. You're letting go of all the negative, then that's all you're left with is mm. like peace and love, which is real. I was like, isn't that wow, beautiful? Isn't that powerful? Yeah, right? that's amazing. Now that's where we all want to be. Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate, isn't it? Love, yeah, you know, definitely. So yeah, uh, any other tools that you can think of? With any other, any anything else that comes to mind when skipping. we skipping? Skipping. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let us know about your skipping. <laughs> well, it's skipping down the beach like a little child, not the skipping with a rope. So yeah. I mean, although I do do that too, but um, yeah, I just uh, I I skip on the stage and I say it's a double dose of dopamine. And the reason why I say that is because when you skip, you can't help but smile. It's uh, unlike running, right? <laughs> you know, angry That's face. That's true. I didn't think <laughs> right? of that. So you yeah. skip and you kind of like, it brings out the child and you go, oh, I remember, you know. And, and it's, it's kind of just light and fun. And, and when people see you skip, they laugh too, <laughs> which is a good thing because um, that connects the community through dopamine. So yeah. that's how the double dosamine, dopamine thing happens. So I say put a skip in your day and keep depression away. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and there's a big thing on kindness with, with that as well so just by watching someone else do something kind then evokes the same emotion in you as actually doing the act or having it done to you Beautiful. so um yeah when you're doing s and this is kind of like i suppose this is a bit of a paradox here but um i do recommend people doing stuff kind for, no for other people and not telling in a single soul because mm. then you're doing it for the right reason because a lot of times people do something kind and you're doing it as an ego thing because then you can go, show, look how kind I was. You know what I mean? So I do recommend 
um, especially when it comes to kindness. Like I practice kindness myself. And a lot of times I'll do it and not and not tell the person or not let anyone know. Mm. Um, so then it really installs in you, like you're actually doing it for the purpose of being kind, not for the recognition or, yeah, not for, or whatever. But then there's the other flip to the coin is, yeah, sometimes it is good to then, you know, show other people, not for the ego, but more for the inspiration and more for the, you know, showing people that, you know, and giving them the courage to then go out and be kind to other people as well. Yeah, so absolutely. there's definitely two sides to, to that one. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I love uh, – yeah, it's definitely contagious. Laughing is contagious. Have you seen there's a clip uh, on Facebook or whatever and there's a guy just sitting on a train and everyone's sort of like on their phones or whatever. He just starts laughing. And he doesn't stop. And next minute, like after like, you know, first people looking at him like, what's he laughing at? And the next minute, some other people start laughing at, you know, the next minute. And then the, the whole train is laughing by the end of it. Yeah, that's so, so contagious. Good, so contagious it is. But, yeah, and then there's a the flip side of that too. There's the, you know, I mean, someone's complaining, then what happens when someone complains? That triggers that, the pain body or, you know, if Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body or whatever, that can that triggers negative emotions in you and then you start complaining about your life. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so then the energy just All of a sudden everyone's complaining, right, in, in the workplace yeah. or whatever. So yeah. Increasing cortisol. <laughs> yeah, so that's um, something that you've got to be really uh, conscious of is yeah. – you know, the, the way that you're presenting yourself, you know, affects your environment and then you're, how much your environment, you know, is affecting you. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to be that leader of change, to be that leader of, you know, you want to change, you know, your culture. And, you, um, mm. I don't know, who's, is it um, Rummy or Buddha or one of them said, you know, if you want to change the world, then start by changing yourself, right? Absolutely. And that's, um, so it's like Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, right? Yeah. 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 yeah so beautiful song. Um, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So come from love, not fear. Yeah. Simple. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone go do that and you'll be sorted. <laughs> and start with a smile. If you can smile at one person everywhere you go, man, that's that's a beautiful gift. And it's free. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, for some people that could be the only smile they got that day. Yep. So that's... Yep. Um, that's very powerful as well. So, yeah. Anyway, look, I think um, we've covered so much <laughs> today. And uh, thank you so much for coming along. Yeah. Was, oh, um, man, it was awesome. Love it. Yeah. Thank so, you. No, all good. And, um, yeah, so I just wanted to, yeah, to say I, I'm proud of what you're doing. And, um, yeah, I'm, I know you're out there changing lives. And I know it's something that we're both very passionate about. So, mm, I'm sure we'll see each other on the stage again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm certain of that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for coming along. And, yeah. Um, Oh, we'll leave it there. Yeah. So thank cool. You. Bye. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Neuronavada podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe. Also, if you'd like to know a bit more about us, uh, jump on Instagram, Neuronavada underscore, and Neuronavada on Facebook. Also, if you'd like to check out our services and if we can help you in any way, jump on our website, neuronavada.com.au.